Hey, everybody, and welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Mufke Goldwyn. And we have a super dope guest today. Her name we is do. Rachel Janfaza, and she is a Gen Z reporter. Anna, talk to me about her. Like this, this woman, young woman, is so impressive. Like, yeah, she's very cool. No. She definitely incites some like envy of why was I not that accomplished <laughs> and impressive yeah. when I was just out of college. But she is a that's for next week's podcast. <laughs> next on the therapy version of this podcast, mm -hmm. Anna unpacks her early 20s. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. But so Rachel is a journalist. She covers youth political culture. Most recently, she started The Up and Up, which is a newsletter that is focused on Gen Z's political zeitgeist. So it talks about how young Americans are organizing, how they're mobilizing each other, and also how they're participating in civic life and politics, which is something that we talk all about with her in this conversation. And no also cap. She talks no cap. That's no Gen what? Z. That's no cap. See, that's I don't Gen even know. That's Gen Z know. lingo for no lying. Like, yeah, no cap. I don't cap. even know. Um, <laughs> But Rachel, also on top of the Up and Up, which is this new venture, she also freelances for a bunch of different magazines like Teen Vogue and Bustle. And she previously started her career as an associate writer on the CNN politics team, which is where wow. she was hired to cover young voters and ended up not only covering that, but also campaigns and breaking news. So needless to say, she has accomplished more by the ripe age of, I assume she's in her mid-20s, um, than most of us have uh, in our entire lifetime. Wow. So. Super excited for everyone to hear this conversation. I think she's really inspiring. But also more than that, I think it's like super informative about like the quote unquote youth vote and what seems to be this large mystery of our politics. She really yes. unpacks it for us. Well, uh, let's let's dive in and demystify the young vote, the youth vote, the youths. How do the we say youth. it? All right. God. Let's just go. Let's do it. You are going to vote tomorrow in the election. The millennial generation is the America's youngest generation. Welcome to Political Playlist. <laughs> All right, are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> hey, Rachel. Hi. How are you? Welcome to the Happy Hour. Thank you. Thank you for yes. having me. Um, Did you we... come armed with your glass of wine? I have it. Oh, we love fantastic. it. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. I feel like we've that been was, on that a, was a collective sip in case, in we've case been, people couldn't hear. We've been on a, a run of uh, doing some of these recent interviews in the mornings. So uh, you're, I think, our first guest in, in a month that has uh, actually shown up with a glass of wine. So that makes us feel much better about ourselves. Good. Well, I'm glad to bring the trend back. We love it. Yeah. Um, well, it's so exciting to talk to you. You know, we got connected through a mutual friend. And I think that the work you're doing is just so important and also just very niche in a way that um, is, is probably not something most people are familiar with. So, you know, we really wanted to talk specifically about this niche you found to yourself, which is around youth voting, youth culture as it relates to politics. And I was just wondering if you can talk a bit about how you kind of found that niche where 
you, you know, we, you and I had spoken a little bit about it before, but if you can just kind of take us through your journey as a journalist in this specific um, topic that you cover and kind of how that's evolved over the time you've been covering it. Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, thank you guys again for having me. And I think like, you know, the work that I'm doing around youth political culture and the way that young people are involved in politics, I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing to shed a light on young elected officials um, and young people in the political space. So I think there's a lot of uh, synchronism between that. Um, thank you. And synergy. Yeah. Um, so when I was in college, and I guess it kind of started before then, but I was always really interested in the intersection of young people and politics. And I also love to write. Uh, for a while, I thought I wanted to go into education and I taught civics classes to fifth graders throughout my time in college and was just sort of struck by a general interest from young people to want to be involved in the civic space. And yet sometimes not always having the information to be able to get involved or to know where to start. Um, and so after the Parkland school shooting in 2018, at the time I was a sophomore in college, I started to notice the way that both, you know, young people across the country starting in Florida and then spreading, um, you know, to cities all in towns all over the place. And then on my own campus, the way that young people saw something that they felt passionate about um, and injustice that they wanted to correct. And they started speaking up and uh, marching and protesting and demonstrating, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, this is not the first time that this has happened. But I think it was just kind of like I was coming of into awareness myself about my own beliefs and the way that um, the people that I was surrounded by were feeling about these issues. And I started to write about it. Um, and so that kind of I think, I think that's been the experience also for a lot of uh, young people. Like people around, you know, Gen Zers in in how they sort of came to be aware of politics. Whenever I ask someone who I'm reporting on, um, how did you first get involved in politics or when did your activism start? So many people that I've spoken to say that it was from, um, you know, what happened after the Parkland School shooting and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And so I think that my experience is not unique. Um. But that was kind of when I started writing about it the most, which is it wasn't I wasn't, you know, taking action. I wasn't protesting, but I was writing about the work that was going on. And then after that, um, there was a lot of climate activism and um, there were just other movements that I started paying attention to. And my junior year of college, I studied abroad in London. And at the time um, I started writing for Teen Vogue and I wrote about the youth led push against Brexit. And. Um, that sort of solidified my passion for writing about youth movements and the way that young people were taking action on issues that they cared most about. And then when I came back, I decided to write my senior thesis on the role of social media and youth-led social movements from 2010 to 2020. So then that all crystallized, and I was really fortunate to be able to have my first job covering uh, young voters and youth political culture at CNN ahead of the 2020 election, which was a crazy time to be doing it. Um, right in the heart of the pandemic. And a lot of the lessons that I learned through writing about the way that young people or, were organizing online only started to multiply once everyone was forced to organize online because you couldn't do anything in person. Mm. Um, and so I just found myself sort of in this unique position to understand some of the history or really modern history because it was only the 10 years prior to the pandemic 
and then um, sort of saw how it all unfolded online ahead of the 2020 election. Um, so that's how I got into this. And it is quite niche, but I love it. And I, you know, talk to young people all day, every day. And it's it's really uh, inspiring. And now, you know, you have some of the first people that I ever started covering. Now, Congressman Maxwell Frost um, from Florida is in yeah. Congress. And he was an activist when I started covering him. So, yeah. It's like, like quite a full circle moment, I feel like, to in such a short amount of time kind of see someone who was just a part of this general movement kind of elevate himself so quickly must be a very rewarding feeling to have watched that journey. Totally. I mean, I think it just speaks to the way that um, the the national attention on these movements and the prowess and also authenticity and um, sort of just political will that a lot of the young people who were involved in these movements from the get-go have. And, you know, he's one example, but I'm sure that there will be many other individuals from these movements who end up in positions similar to him down the line. So it'll be fun to keep watching and and telling the stories about those individuals as well. So I want to ask you a little bit about party politics for a sec. And I feel like there is this big misconception among people that Gen Z are a bunch of left wing voters and and more so very far extreme left. And I feel like this is just a, a total misconception. So I'm wondering if we can kind of, you know, demystify the the partisan breakdown of the young voters and what are you seeing as far as, you know, what the different party affiliations are among this demographic? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think really important to dive into because, as you mentioned, there are a lot of, uh, you know, beliefs of where young people's party allegiances lie right. based off the issues that they're prioritizing. But what I think is really important to differentiate between is the issues they're prioritizing and then their party affiliation. Because Interesting. Because like a lot of the issues that young people care about are things that the Democratic Party is currently championing, whether it be uh, reproductive health care access and rights, whether it be climate change or climate action, whether it be gun safety um, or college affordability, housing affordability. All of these things are issues that are right now directly impacting young people's lives and whether they feel there's a livable climate that they can have a future uh, and, and envision a future in, um, you know, the choices that they feel they're able to make with their own bodies and if they feel safe in school or not or going to the movies or the mall or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are very tangible day-to-day issues that are affecting all young people. And yet when I I was recently traveling, talking to young people on college and high school campuses across the country as part of a research project, And I would ask young people, you know, do you feel like you affiliate with one party or another? And sometimes they did. And other times they were like, I'm not so sure where I lie. And Hmm. for the ones who did, it wasn't a really strong party affiliation. Like, that's pretty rare because the average American is not an advocate or an activist. I mean, they're an advocate in their own right for the issues that they care about, but they're not necessarily involved with a specific political organization or um you know, leading protests. Like that's one part of who I cover, but I also try to talk with, you know, average young people who of course have political preferences and beliefs, but 
aren't necessarily the ones at the forefront of these movements. And for them, it's a lot more blurry where it's like they know that because of the way that our current media ecosystem functions, they know that one party is prioritizing these issues over the other, but they don't necessarily feel that they have a home in that party. And mm. so even for this is true of both Democrats and Republicans. And I think that for some young people who, you know, when they go through the slate of issues they care about, you'd say, oh, well, you're pretty liberal. And they're, they might say, yes, I'm liberal, but I don't necessarily agree with all of the policies of the current administration or the elected officials who are of the Democratic Party. Right. And then on the flip side, I've spoken to a lot of conservatives who are sometimes even uh, hesitant to call themselves Republicans because of where the Republican Party currently is. So they say, yes, I'm a conservative. I want I want fiscal conservatism, limited government, um, you know, free markets, these values that are traditionally labeled as conservative. And yet they don't feel that the Republicans are currently representing their interests. So I think that, honestly, there's a lot of confusion and misconception, not just from sort of older folks who are looking at young voters and saying, you know, where do these people align, but also from young people themselves who sort of feel like everything is so polarized and maybe they're more in the middle. I just have a quick follow-up on that. I mean, it's so interesting and in so many ways it makes sense because I think that like much of what we talk about all the time is how not only are a lot of the people representing these parties, you know, sort of antiquated, but a lot of the ways that the parties are shaped is quite antiquated and the way that the priorities, you know, are messaged and things like that are not necessarily speaking to the majority of Americans who are now, you know, under 40 years old is, is most American. And so my quick follow up to that is, what do you think the party leaders, the people in charge of messaging, the people in charge of these platforms, what do you think they can do to maybe get more loyalty? Or do you think that maybe not having loyalty is a good thing? I mean, I think that the way that we saw the midterms shake out and the way that Democrats leaned into these issues, maybe because they truly believe that this was the right thing to do, but also because for some of the issues, it was the popular stance to take. Um, and it was successful and young people voted for Democrats by an overwhelming margin. And so I think that, you know, going to college campuses like Senator Bernie Sanders was a surrogate for many of the causes that even though he wasn't, you know, necessary, he wasn't up for reelection. He was he traveled. He was going across the country with um, the organization Next Gen America and uh, talking to college students about the issues directly affecting their lives. And as someone who is seen as a leader in the party, I think that was effective messaging. And it's ironic because he's one of the oldest right. members of the party. Right. Bernie's and young so at heart. We all know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's not, but that's the thing that I think is so interesting is that it doesn't really matter how old you are if you're talking about the issues that are resonating with right. young people. Are there and any people on the Republican? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that we saw that, too, with how young people turned out for Biden in 2020. It's like he ended up being the nominee and young people got behind him and mm -hmm. have been some of his biggest allies, also his harshest critics. 
but are pushing for the issues they care about. And when he champions the issues that they care about, they're very, you know, eager and willing to say, like, that's my president. Thank you for doing that. So I think, you know, that's like the, I think maybe more like the progressive side of things. But, uh, and I think you're going to ask something about I was just going to add, you know, do you see sort of in the Bernie Sanders way, whether it's someone older or someone newer, do you see any Republicans in leadership positions, whether that be governors, whether that be senators, whether it be people higher up in the house? Like, have you sort of tracked down any Republicans who are doing that work on the right to try to speak to young, maybe conservative, right-leaning voters who are not that jazzed on what the Republican Party stands for right now? Yeah. So interestingly enough, the two member, the two Gen Zers who were running for Congress this fall were, was Maxwell, who won, now Congressman Frost, and Caroline Levitt, who's a Republican from New Hampshire. And she's very conservative. And her district has a lot of college campuses. And so she made it a point to go to the college campuses in her district to talk directly to young people. And after the midterms, she wrote an op-ed in Fox News that addressed the fact that Republicans are coming up short when it comes to these issues that young people are prioritizing. And while she doesn't necessarily, you know, agree with the issues that a lot of young people uh, think are the biggest problems of the day, she was she said, these are things that people in my generation care about. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Republican Party needs to do a better job of messaging around it. She wasn't saying we should message in favor of it. She just said we need to address it. We can't just not not talk about it and not talk directly to young people. So I think the thing that's similar, and those are two very different cases, someone like Caroline Levin and someone like Senator Bernie Sanders. But the thing that they did that was similar was that they went to college campuses and they talked to young people. And so I think that oftentimes in the youth voter space, there's a lot of like mysticism about how do we get young people to pay attention. And from what I saw from those two, those two politicians, it was a matter of just directly going to the young people themselves and not just on TikTok, not just on social media, but being on their campus where they can't scroll out. They can't, you know, swipe and not have your image in front of them anymore. But you're there. You're there in front of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one specific example that just comes to mind is I feel like there is a sort of renewed conservative effort around addressing climate change. And like, what does mm-hmm. a conservative solution to that look like now that most Republicans are saying, yeah, this is a problem, but the way that Democrats want to handle it is not actually the most effective way. And so I think that we'll, you know, maybe maybe we'll start to see that on some of these other big issues that matter to young people as well as they become more and more important in the voting block. Yeah, I think so. I think climate's a great example of it. I mean, like the American Conservation Coalition, which is a group of conservative climate activists uh, or advocates, um, they're holding a conference in Salt Lake City um, this spring that brings together leaders in the Republican Party from Congress and also some of their um, chapter members from across the country talking about conservative solutions to climate change. So interestingly enough, I mean, believe it or not, um, Utah has has had an active drought and the situation around the Great Salt Lake is pretty dire. So it, it seems interesting that they're and and fitting that they're holding this there because obviously you don't get much redder of a state than Utah. 
and yet they are facing a drastic uh, climate issue there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Definitely. Um, just sh- so shifting gears like a little bit. So, you know, we're talking about kind of what parties maybe can do differently or how parties can shift their focus in terms of getting young people to care more, affiliate more, feel more strongly in one direction or the other. You worked for CNN, which is this big, very traditional media company that I feel like not many Gen Z are really like tuning into, you know, <laughs> CNN tonight on a daily basis. Um, but you worked there as a journalist and obviously covered young people for this large news organization. My question is, what do you feel like some of these bigger news companies are missing when it comes to engaging young people and also you obviously did the work really well there but i have to imagine there's work to be done in how we also report on young people and so i'm wondering if you can offer some insight into that from your experience yeah totally i mean it's a great question and i'm incredibly grateful for my experience at cnn because i learned a ton i got to cover a wide range of stories beyond youth political culture which was kind of what i was first doing um, and obviously where my passion lies, but I also got to do campaign reporting. So I was traveling, doing primary coverage and breaking news reporting as well. Um, and my colleagues were fantastic. So just to say that, um, I think the the thing that I always tried to advocate for is having younger voices be at the center of stories about issues that are impacting young people. And whether that meant that on the day that Ropers were Wade was overturned, uh, getting, you know, quotes from young people about how they feel this issue will impact them. Or when it came to, you know, the student debt cancellation plan and student debt forgiveness, uh, talking to young people about what this meant for them, um, both people who were in support of it and people who were against it, um, you know, when there was a when a mass shooting would happen, talking to young people about how does this impact you, how does it make you feel when you go to school the next day, things like that. I think oftentimes it's easy at a big uh, establishment legacy media brand to kind of just tell the story in the same way it's been told for years. When there are a lot of really passionate young people who are able to eloquently speak about the issues that they see most affecting their lives. So I think it all connects back to that theme of the fact that young people are living lives right now that are really tangibly impacted by the biggest crises facing the country today. Um, And so that was just something that I pushed for and that I think, you know, all journalists can be, myself included, can be doing a better job of. Um, no matter what type of an outlet we're writing for or producing for um, or editing for, et cetera, is just if you're telling a story about something that impacts young people, you can always bring them to the center of the conversation by quoting them, uplifting their story themselves. Um, So I think that's my biggest takeaway. And also just this, this sentiment that, you know, when I was out in the field talking to younger voters was a sense of like, sometimes they didn't even know that there was a primary the next day. And so it was, you know, I'd be in a Costco parking lot or a Walmart parking lot or wherever, Target, and I would say, hey, do you plan to vote tomorrow? And they'd be like, vote, what are you talking about? 
unaware that this election was even happening. And then you'd go to an 80-year-old person and they'd be like, yeah, I see the ads all over TV all the time. And so I think it's just incumbent on the people telling, on the people reporting about politics to make sure that the stories we're telling are actually reaching all eligible voters and all people who are a part of our democracy. Because if not, it, it does a disservice to not reach, you know, everyone who's eligible to participate. I have a kind of geographical question for you, which is yeah. obviously you've sort of covered, you know, the youth politics in in all corners of the country. And so have you, I feel like with older voters, the the sort of geography and upbringing seems to really influence their politics heavily. And I'm curious if you have noticed the 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 younger Gen Z vote is somehow able to kind of supersede that. And, you know, I don't know if that's a matter of, you know, having greater connectivity and, you know, just a broader um, access to things because, you know, Gen Z is such a, you know, grew up with computers and phones in a way that other generations didn't. I'm, I'm curious if you noticed geography and, and just that kind of, you know, nurture versus nature impacting Gen Z um, and, and their political views. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. And I think that for some members of our generation, there still is sort of a, uh, you know, location bias. Um, but I do think that the fact that we're able to see the news in real time from our peers across the country has made it so that we're aware of what's going on elsewhere. And there's this general sense of empathy amongst members of Gen Z, where it's like, this might not be directly affecting me, but I can understand maybe because I saw a face-to-camera video or whatever it was, the way that this is impacting someone else. And I feel a responsibility to, to pay attention to it. So I do think that, you know, phones have everything to do with it. And also just the sheer fact that like not only are we looking at our phones all the time, but we're getting notifications from any of the news companies that we have downloaded the apps for um, that alert us to what's going on in places all over the country the moment that it happens. And then we can watch a live feed of in real time conversation about what's happening. And I think that plays a part, too. And then, I mean, I think, you know, this is something, this isn't unique to Gen Z. Um, you know, this has been happening for years and years, but when students travel to a different state for school and are exposed to a different set of local issues and uh, people around them and professors and viewpoints, I think that kind of changes uh, people's viewpoint as well. Um, so, I mean, that's not new, of course. But I do think the way that that coupled with the way that we are so persistently aware of everything that's happening at every point of the day and the sort of information overload, but also the way we can be in conversation with one another as a result of that uh, plays into that. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's so I mean, it's so interesting. I think also just the specific point about how it creates more empathy. I mean, it's kind of like a touchy feely. Thing, but it really is what has gotten us into this whole mess 
like just not <laughs> having any sense of empathy for anyone who feels differently than we do. And, you know, I've certainly had moments in my adult life now where I've reconciled like, oh, I was so resistant to even trying to like understand where that person is coming from because I don't necessarily agree with what they're saying. And it's been such a journey for me. And I know Michael's had his own experience in this way too. And I think that, you know, we are solidly millennial. So Gen Z is a mystery to us. But um, but I do feel like the connectivity of Gen Z offers this like built-in empathy that if you want to understand where someone's coming from, all you have to do is like look at your phone and look up what people are saying about that issue. So I think that's a really good point. But speaking of news organizations people are following, you've started the Up and Up. Can you talk a little bit about it? It like seems to be such a an amalgamation, if I think that's the right word, of all of the work that you've done thus far in your career, of all the things that you're passionate and interested in and about. Um, and just tell us like how it came about, what it is, and where you sort of see it going. Yeah. So. Um, thank you. I started the up and up because I felt like there was, as you said, sort of Gen Z can be a mystery sometimes. And there is a lot of skepticism about our generation, a lot of questions about the work that young people are doing and whether or not young people care at all about politics. Um, and I think it's worth exploring both the people who care a lot about politics and are invested in it, have started organizations, are um, running for office themselves, but then also the people who are not interested say that, you know, politics isn't for them a lot of times, which is because they're like quite jaded and just feel like politicians don't actually listen to the issues. It's not that they don't care or that they, you know, don't want to participate. It's that they think that even if they do participate, it doesn't make a difference or they don't have the information to know, you know, how do I participate and get involved in the first place? So I started this newsletter to sort of try to connect some of those dots for people who are in traditional political roles, either working at organizations, um, working at news outlets, running campaigns um, to shed light on the organizing that's happening on the day to day on the parts of these organizations. Um, and also to shed light on for the people who aren't paying, who aren't or organizing, who aren't involved, like why they're not. Um, so that was really the inception of it and it's kind of it's i'm still just getting started so it's a lot of um throwing spaghetti at the walls and seeing what sticks and i'm trying you know all different types of of things you know i think like some of the most fun um stories that i've done have just been like really organic like the day that um president biden issued pardons for people with marijuana possessions i just started texting some progressive organizers and saying like hey like how do you feel about this and then I literally just published their responses saying so-and-so texted me X, Y, and Z thing. And that was really organic, really fun, really quick. And I think just sort of gave some context into what this decision, which we got, you know, a million notifications about actually meant to people who are doing some of this organizing work. Um, similarly, when there was so much talk about inflation and um, how difficult it was to afford gas and groceries ahead of the midterms this fall. I reached out to a bunch of young conservatives and said, hey, like, how do you think this is going to impact the midterms? And, um, you know, what 
what are you hearing on the ground from your organizers? And similarly, publish sort of in that casual fashion. But then I've also done some more deep dives. Like this past week, I did a look at this, um, the youth mental health crisis and how teen girls are struggling. I spoke with some both political organizers, but also and strategists, also mental health advocates, um, and looked at how Senator Fetterman was so open about his own struggle and what that means to see someone in a position of power talking openly about what they're going through when there are so many young people who are going through something similar, different, but similar. Um, so it really has run the gamut. And I've started doing Instagram lives, which is really fun because then you can be in real time with someone. Um, and, I, and I hope it will grow from there. But really, the goal is just to sort of connect the dots between young people and older people helping to provide some context to some of these buzzy headlines and say, who are the faces behind the movement? How are they feeling? Um, and, you know, are their peers also getting involved or is it just a specific cohort? Can you just tell where can we find you? I know you're on Instagram. Uh, you have a newsletter. Yes, my you can go to um, Substack. So it's The Up and Up on Substack, um, theupandup.substack.com. And then on Instagram, it's the.upandup. So please subscribe and follow. Awesome. Everyone go. Well, um, Rachel, you've you've been uh, super generous with your time. I just want to sort of ask kind of one final thought, which is, you you know, you mentioned about the mystery of the youth vote, right? (laughs) I feel like it is such a mystery to older voters, politicians. It's always been a mystery. It was like, how are millennials voting? Now it's like, how are just youth voting? (laughs) Totally. So, So what would you say to folks to kind of, you know, help them understand what the, you know, one or two kind of big takeaways that, uh, you know, Gen Z and young voters are uh, fighting for and are very, um, you know, for. And what do they how do they see the country going forward? Yeah. So it's a big question. I yeah. think when I ask. <laughs> Yeah, take your time. No rush. Yeah. No, but uh, I have been having a lot of these conversations sort of on a high level lately with high school and college students. And when I ask, what is your biggest hope for America and what is your biggest fear for America? Those two go in tandem with each other because Hmm. more often than not, the biggest hope is for the country to come together and have some sort of unification. And the biggest fear is that we devolve into chaos because everyone is too focused on political parties and polarization that we end up coming into conflict with one another. And I think, you know, there th- that's certainly a, certainly a generalization. There are specific issues that sort of fall into those two buckets. But I think high level, um, that's sort of how young people are feeling. And coming out of the pandemic, um, I think that kind of makes a lot of sense. And when you look at events like January 6th, it, that makes a lot of sense. I think the other thing that I would say is sort of a high level takeaway is that even for the young people who are the most politically involved, there is a lot of skepticism and a sense of jadedness about our political system and our institutions. You see it in distrust for the media. You see it in distrust for the levers of government and balance of power. Um, And I think that from from what I'm hearing from people on the ground is that sort of the answer to that 
and it seems, and this might seem oversimplified and it might seem a little cliche, is looking locally at what's going on in individual communities and how young people are getting involved there. Because when I would ask in these conversations I've been having or when I talk to, you know, young voters who I'm put in touch with and I say, are you involved in any like big pushes? And they might say no. And then I say, well, how are you taking action in your community? And the answer more often than not is yes, whether that means starting a club on a high school or college campus or uh, going to a city council meeting to voice concern over a specific issue. Um, a small example of that is just this young woman in Miami-Dade County, which is actually in Opelika County, who um, was upset that her local officials weren't on Instagram because she felt that was a way to communicate with young people and they didn't have a presence there. And so she went to a city council meeting to advocate for them to get on Instagram so that young people could hear more about the events in their community. So that's, that's just like one example. That's great. Yeah. yeah. But there are stories like that from all pockets of yeah. the country. And I think that the way that young people are turning locally to address some of these issues that they see is this, you know, inspiration in the face of all the jadedness of like, I don't think politicians do anything that kind of flies in the face of that. So I think that would be sort of my, uh, my, my big picture synopsis. I think that also just, it's such a powerful thing, like that ripple effect. And I think that what you're doing at the up and up, what other people are doing to try to bring awareness to, as you said earlier, centering these young voices in stories about things that are impacting them. I think that what we, something we always talk about when we're talking about like getting more young people in office and why we feel that's so important is that when you see someone who you identify with doing something that seems impossible or seems, you know, out of your league or whatever, it becomes an inspiration for you to do the same. And I hope that there is someone out there who hears the story about that girl going to her city council meeting and saying, hey, like, why the hell are you guys on an Instagram? And then thinking, oh, my city council people aren't on Instagram. Like, I now feel empowered to go do that. And so I think that the beauty of the interconnectivity of everything, and specifically for young people who are so interconnected, is that we can take these stories and share them and hopefully inspire more young people to take action, even if it's a small action like that, you know, like that isn't a heavy lift. And I think that it probably made a really big difference in her community. Definitely. Yeah. And those are the types of stories that I'm trying to tell as, you know, simple as that to, you know, all, all the types of ways that young people are getting involved because it adds up. And like you said, you know, people have been wondering, it was how are millennials going to vote? It was how Gen, how is Gen Z going to vote? And soon it'll be how will Gen Alpha vote? It's always going to be a question, but I think that there are some tools in our toolbox now that just make it a little bit easier to see tangibly the ways that young people are getting involved. Um, so, you know, I'm keeping my, my eyes on it, my ears on it, and um, I'm glad that you guys are doing the same as well. Well, we are we are fans, Rachel. So we are rooting for you. And uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for happy, <laughs> happy post happy hour. <laughs> <laughs>